to your mom and dad. I know that you are hurting. I'm hurting too. I feel and feed off your tension, fear, and shock. Although I am young and cannot express verbally what is happening in our lives, I am still feeling the impact. My heart is broken every time I have to give up a parent. My sense of security is lost. Please don't assume that I am resilient. Please don't assume that my life will be exactly as it was, and that I will continue to feel the same love from both of you. I am a human being just like you. My needs are just like yours. I need love, attention, nurturing, stability, consistency, affection, understanding, patience, and mostly, to be wanted. When you fight over me or put me in the middle of your argument, you are sending me the message that winning with each other is more important than my life. I am learning from you that it is better to be right than to be loved. You are teaching me that I came from a person who is unlovable and wrong, and that I am somehow wrong too. When you confide your hurt in my heart, you are storing up adult pain and robbing me of my childhood. You are taking away my belief that love is unconditional and replacing it with a message that tells me to become hard and not to love because I will get hurt and not be able to recover. You may not understand this today, and I am so small that you are not thinking about my future, but you are putting me at a greater risk of getting a divorce myself. At times you are risking my safety to fill a void in your heart. My safety is your job. Without you and your protection, I am unshielded from the world. This will manifest in irrational fears for me, because I will stay in a state of fight or flight for most of my life. Someday, this initial shock will wear off, but how you choose to parent me through this crisis will never wear off. I will either feel your sense of selflessness, support, protection, or I will have a scar on my heart with a message that reads, Good things happen to good people. I must be bad. Thoughtfully, the child of divorce. Hi everyone. What you just heard is the piece called Dear Mom and Dad written by Monica Apperson, who went through not one, not two, but five divorces through her childhood and started the child of divorce to bring awareness to the bad effects of divorces on the children. I heard that clip around 5 years back and I'm not sure if the organization is still around anymore. but the truth that is in that particular audio is still very true when it comes to these podcasts we would like to make sure that we bring to light all the downsides of bad divorces by speaking to people who have been through it so in this episode we speak to ben kowalski who went through a bad divorce and lived through a situation where his home did not feel safe for him anymore we talk about all the struggles of growing in such an environment and how he went on to teach himself to be someone who is now a well-balanced adult with a lot to offer to the world and his own family now without further ado let's get to the interview
When it comes to people who have gone through a divorce or children who have survived the separation of their parents or alienation from their mother or father, I always like to start with what do they think about family values and the importance of it when it comes to them. People normally learn about family values by looking at their own parents. So, coming from a family that have gone through a divorce, how do you view family values when it comes to your own life? Uh, that's a very complicated question, but um, so I I can tell you that the way I looked at family has changed over the years. So I, I've had different phases in my life, and uh, during these different phases, I I used to have different looks on relationships, on families, and uh, the views that I have nowadays were very different than, than what I used to have. Let us talk about all of it today. Let's start with the very beginning and talk about how things change throughout your life. I think that during early childhood, and I'm talking, so you, you have to know first that my, my parents divorced when I was eight. I'm the other sibling of a family of four siblings. So my, when I was eight, my brother was six. My younger sister was two years old. And then I had another sister of four years old. So. When I would say my, my parents divorced them, before that time, I remember that the feeling I had in my family was a very warm and cozy feeling. I remember that there were a lot of different people coming at our house. I remember having a lot of friends. And actually, all the memories that I had of that time were very happy ones. I, I think at that age, you're also not too conscious about the, the bounds that you have with your, your family members, except they're, they're just uh, the people around around you, protecting you, taking care of you. And that's how I, I looked at my mother. So those were just the, the, the protectors around me that, that took care of me. When it comes to your younger days, before your parents had the divorce, what was your favorite memory with them? I don't think that I have like one single memory, but I definitely have a collection of happy memories playing in the garden of my parents, being, you know, just in the, the whole neighborhood with uh, playing with the other kids of the neighborhood in the streets, playing with my siblings and just being happy together. It, it's more of a, a global feeling of collective memories that I had of back then. After the age of eight, there's some kind of blackout. I think my, my parents were never really clear about you know, what, what happened, it's it just that we never really had uh, a true discussion about what was happening and why it was happening. And the thing that you have to know about divorce is that there's a lot of concealing and lying and hiding going on. Well, they have very bad implications for their children, but s- somehow it's hard for parents to have a mature discussion with their children. And, and it's also not an easy conversation to have to begin with. So what I remember is that one day my father would not show up anymore at home. My mother acted as if that was a normal thing. So suddenly he was not there and both my parents were just you know, acting as if this was a new normal, uh, a normal situation to be in. We, it's not like we ever sat down around the table to have a conversation and, and to talk about the problems that they had. And they never asked us how we felt about that and uh, what our opinion was on this matter. I, I think from that day on, 
there was more and more estrangement and false communication going on, or just a, a general lack of communication. And what I remember is that probably the, the next decades, I, I left home around the age of 20. So between eight and 20, I remember that I would become more and more disconnected from my family and from my siblings. I, I would actually become estranged to them because the, there was this lack of communication and there was a general feeling of apathy growing within the family. Ben, did you ever ask your mom why dad is not around anymore? I don't even remember asking the question. I Probably I must have asked that question. But at the same time, I think that my parents or, or like my mom, for example, just vaguely answered. I, I got help answers or non-answers. And probably because of my age, I didn't went through with my questions <laughs> and I didn't investigate. I was just like, oh, all right. You know, because at that age, you also, you have this tendency of trusting your parents. They are the natural authority figures in your life. And as a kid, you have this tendency to just blindly trust them. You know, whatever mom and dad does is the right thing and, and they care about me. So whatever they choose, it must be because they love me. And it must be uh, in my best of intention. At least that's what you think at that age. So. I remember not really questioning what was going on. You mentioned how the bond you had as a family was slowly fading away. Honestly, I think these kind of things are really elusive. Thinking back, I certainly see how some of my school friends were growing up through a similar situation as well. When I was younger, I had no clue about all this. I remember one of my friends kept missing school and always looked sad and so on. I was a teenager and I did not ask much as I know that his parents got separated. That's all I knew. He was traveling back and forth between both his dad's place in Singapore and mom's in Malaysia. Nowadays, when I replay these moments, I always wonder how he was feeling. Of course, I didn't ask anything back then and also I did not know any better. I will ask those questions that I have to you so that now I can finally have the answers. Can you explain some moments when you actually felt that you were losing the bond or losing the closeness that you had with your family members? Yes. Well, the first one is that family members stopped showing up, right? Because as soon as mom and dad leave each other, there are different camps in the family, right? Mother has a narrative and father has a narrative. And those narratives are just not compatible. No, one blames the other. And there's like this fight going on to gain mastery of the narrative. One wants to prove that he's wrong and wants to get allies against the other. Naturally, certain family members tend to align more with one or the other. And, and this divorce creates a deep rift in the family. Uh, it, it pits family members against each other because... One is convinced that mom was right and the other thinks that she was wrong and side with that. So yeah, you have these different camps within the family. That's one thing. The second thing is that because divorces naturally are very conflictual and, and, and brings a lot of conflict between people, it, it brings a huge dose of drama as well. And people do not want to get too involved into that. So... There is this huge drama going on on a daily basis in the divorced family. 
and other family members, you know, they, they do not really want to be involved in that uh, and, and involve their family in the drama of another side of the family. People stay away because every time they show up, it's, it's just about that. It's about grief and sadness. It's about how, how bad the other partner is. You know, because you cannot have normal conversations anymore. The, these family members just stop inviting you or they stop showing up. And slowly I noticed over the years that, uh, well, we, we just became very estranged of other parts of the family. And then uh, uh, a last aspect that I noticed is that there is not only estrangement with outside members of the family, but also within the family unit itself. I, I felt that I became estranged from my siblings, uh, from my father and from my mom, because we cannot have truthful and genuine conversations anymore. Because the, the conversations about divorce dominate every aspect of life, because you cannot have truthful conversations anymore. Uh, because the, the way it goes is that whenever you talk about your real feelings for your dad, it will make mom angry. Whenever you mention mom to dad, he will get angry. Uh, whenever you just talk about your feelings, it becomes about their feelings. And so there's a lot of lying and manipulation going on. And I guess that this is becoming so obvious at some point that you just abandon. You feel like not having these conversations anymore. You know, in order to have honest conversations, it takes a lot of self-reflection from every every person involved in that conversation because most people do not seem able to do that. Well, you know, people just uh, stop talking with each other. And I remember that at, at a later age, in my late teens, my, my brother would just be in his room and I would be in my room, my sister's in their room. There was not a lot of talking going on. My, my mom was also not really around us because she had to work two jobs. And whenever there was some time available, she was probably too busy worrying about how things would be going on. My, my father, too, it was really hard to have normal conversations with him, first of all, because we didn't see him a lot. But also because uh, whenever we saw him, it, it was, you know, in the context of drama created by my mom. Yeah, it's it, it just hard to have a normal life that is filled with joy and other conversations. When all these things happened, you were just a teenager. You see, as a teenager, you naturally have a lot of questions. I mean, I had many and I'm sure you did too. Simple things like how to shave, how to tie your tie, wear your suit, to even tougher questions like uh, how to get the attention of someone you have a crush on, how to handle bullies at school and so on. From what I can tell, you were not close to anyone in your family and your default male role model, your dad, was away and your mom was busy working. So, did you have anyone else to help you answer these questions or were you stuck with having no one to answer them? Uh, that's also a great question. Now, I, I think the way it's supposed to normally go is that you have your two role models and they give you the best possible education. And this is supplemented by other people in your family and outside friends that have the, your best, you know, like, like good intentions with you and trying to give you a quality-like education. I had some conversations with my father and mother, but uh, I very quickly realized that whatever they said was heavily biased. For example, my mom will, would often say that no man is good and, you know, you, you cannot trust a man because obviously that's the way she looked at my father. And she extrapolated her own opinion 
against all men. Likewise, my dad would do the same against women. And so the, this means that it completely shifts your perspective and the way that you look at the other gender. I, I quickly realized that having conversations with them would probably not help me because their opinions were not really reliable anymore. And the other problem is that, well, I, I just had very few people to talk to. Yeah, you're just very limited in options and I would mainly talk. I, I would get most of my advice and opinion from random people at school, you know, like, like your high school friends. But then again, those people are not from your family and come from different backgrounds with maybe different moral beliefs and, and a, a different set of morals. And they might not always have your best, you know, like uh, the, the best intentions in mind. So well, whatever they say is just that, it's just uh, opinions uh, or the way that they look at things. Because those are the only opinions that you get at the time. I, I used to take a lot of what these people said for true. study that I read recently on divorces and its impact on the children talked about these exact thing. I will link to the study in the show notes, but the main point of the study was that a child who have gone through a divorce have a higher tendency to end up committing a crime, getting involved with the wrong crowd, and ultimately becoming an alcoholic or a drug addict. I think this is mainly because they had no one to be their role models while they were growing up. They did not have anyone reliable at home for them to talk to and naturally they ended up speaking to those they met in school or worse, those they met randomly, probably at the playground, probably at the mall or anywhere, right? What is your opinion on this? No, exactly. And I, and I think the problem is that it's like throwing a dice. You might end up with good people, but you might just as well end up with bad people. But uh, the, the only truth about not having your parents as a role model is that you, you approach other people from a place of emptiness, right? So what I mean by that is that when you've had a successful education and, and you have both parents you know, that, that complement that education with, with healthy point of views, you're, you're a complete human being and you can approach others from that point of view. However, as you said, and you mentioned, kids of uh, divorced parents, they often lack affection and they lack attention. So they, they are devoid of that. It's a human need. And they have this emptiness inside. And that is, in the end, what will define any relationship that they, they have from other people. So, for example, I remember I, I remember being very much in need of attention. And uh, I was definitely seeking, seeking out that kind of attention in my relationships. And... Uh, I remember that uh, it also made me extremely needy. As you grew up and gained more understanding on relationships and marriages, divorces and so on, did you change your mind about your parents? I, I, I guess over time it was always a, a slow evolution and I entered in, in different phases. So I think and until my, my 20s, because I still lived at home, I would mainly absorb the point of views of my mom, eventually supplemented occasionally by the point of views of my dad. Although I must say that in the last 20 years, I saw him only for a few weeks. And uh, we, we had very brief communication, so it's not like his point of views heavily weighted on, on the way I looked at things. But I, I remember that during my 20s when I... I would leave home and I would uh, detach myself from the point of views of my mother. 
and I started to become more independent. I, but that was the first step because uh, I could independently think without having someone around whispering her opinions to me. And uh, they, they say that I was able to mature a little bit in the way I, I looked at uh, my family. But I, I remember that my default option in my early 20s was to be very hostile to anything that was even remotely related to families. So I, I was very hostile towards families in general, towards, towards family unity, towards marriage, towards commitment to each other. Because for me, that was just a very painful experience. That was also the only way I could conceive a family. Uh, a lot of my friends had also diverse families and, and, and somehow everything that was related to that was only but grief and drama and sadness. So those were my opinions in my, my early 20s. I think I also started to be very heavily disappointed at, at my family when I look back. I, you know, it, it's like the, the myth of your parents is completely destroyed because, the, you know, the, the myth that you have as a child is that your parents are like some kind of superheroes that, uh, you know, they guide the way and, and they're all supposed to be these perfect role models. As you grow in life, you realize that sometimes certain parents are just a huge disappointment and that uh, other kids are more blessed. Well, that you're born in families with more competent parents or parents that have made better choices. It makes you feel resentful. You know, it, it makes you feel resentful because you wonder why are they lucky and, and I'm not. And, yeah, you know, they, these people tend to have more success in life because... They, they got proper guidance and proper help and support, and I did not. And I find myself in this very bad situation because of my parents. So the, I, I remember becoming extremely resentful towards both of my parents throughout my 20s. Mostly resentful towards my mom at first, and at a later stage towards my dad. But uh, I remember that as long as I was with my mom, I was resentful towards my dad because that was her narrative. And as soon as I detached myself from my mom, I started to be more critical of her. Uh, that's where I started to alienate both of my parents for several years. Because at that point, it felt like they were just both a, a negative in my life. They, they didn't contribute to any, anything positive, And I, I just wanted to distance myself as much as possible from them. I see. That is an interesting thing that you did where you got away from the toxic environment at home. What are the things that improved? Did you see any significant changes in your perspectives? I, I had the occasion. I finally had the occasion to rebuild my own framework. My, my system of belief, my morals and anything, because mo mo most of that has been incalculated by our parents, right? The perceptions that you hold about the world and about yourself and others, uh, you get them from your parents. You know, your beliefs on family, your beliefs on the other gender, the beliefs that you have about, about yourself. And uh, I think it, it took a lot of time. It's not like I had a light bulb moment that these things happen just like that over time. But um, it, it, it happened over several years. And it happened because I read books about it. It happened because I had conversations with several people that went through the same. Uh, I was really surprised to find out how many people actually went through the same and were trying to better themselves. 
I, I guess at the very beginning, you think that once that you are physically away from your parents, it's all right. You're healed. Things will get better. Uh, and that you can just ignore the past and move on as if nothing ever happened. And I, I, for many years, I thought that was true. I realized how deeply my, my subconscious, my, my, sub, uh, my subconscious behavior and, and way of thinking was actually influenced by, by their deficient way of thinking, who led to their divorce in the first place. I, I, I guess you could call that childhood trauma or childhood indoctrination. And I really had to, to go through all of that, deconstruct all of it, and rebuild it from scratch. Uh, because if you do not do that, everything that you build on top of false beliefs, false beliefs that you got from your parents will eventually lead to the same result in the future. And I, I must say that I had to reach out to people that were able to help me and, and rebuild a, a healthy framework. I would not have been able to do that all by myself. And I, I really needed help for that. I think it's impossible to, to do that on yourself. And I think it's only very recently, I think the last year or two, that I, I was able to successfully rebuild myself and, and uh, you know, live free from the shackles of my past. You said something that I really like. You said that you had to deconstruct yourself and find out what are the biases you had. You also mentioned that you had to rebuild yourself based on the truths compared to false assumptions. Can you go through the process that you went through to do this? Uh, that's a very hard question to, to answer, but um, try anyway. I, I think I first had to realize that my, my thinking and my actions were the, the result of belief systems of, yeah, you, you could call it mental programming that, that was uh, learned from my parents. So it, it, it's very hard to go into detail. I, I mean, because it, this would lead to a whole other conversation about what exactly that is. And I guess it's also different for every single person because we all have different parents and we, we went through different things. But it's important to realize that a lot of what we think is that actually not exactly what we as individuals think. It's just, you know, you know beliefs that we, we take from, from people before us. I, I give you an example. Uh, people that are constantly into self-doubt, that doubt about themselves, that, that are overly cautious, that, that always think, well, I'm not good enough, or I'm, I'm going to fail, blah, 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 etc. Well, that, that's really, it's not, a, it's not you, it's not your personality. It's a, a self-conviction that has been implemented there by people before you. And very often it's the way that parents, you know, dealt with you that caused that kind of behavior. And definitely it's not a healthy way of thinking, all right? Because it's, um, it doesn't lead to positive results in your life. And so I, I think that the most important thing is to to self-analyze, to self-reflect, and be able to tell what is, what is actually my own thinking and, and what part of my thinking and actions is not mine. 
And not only that, but also what, what's in my actions and thinking is healthy and can be used in the future and what is unhealthy. All right. Now, the, the other question is, how do you do that when, when you have no moral framework to, to tell the truth, you know, to discern healthy from non-healthy and to discern what is yours and what is not yours? And, uh, well, I, I invested heavily in coaching. So there are people, um, I would say that there are some coaches out there. There are people that are able to, to coach you in a professional way to, to help you do that. So I, I had to actually invest some money into that, to, to have those conversations with people in, in order to, to help me do that. Do you have any book recommendations? I don't have my, my library here available, but... Uh, uh, a book that I found was really great was uh, Pathway to Agency from uh, Noah Revoy. So that was a book that uh, very deeply influenced me um, because it talked exactly about that, about reprogramming yourself in a more healthy way. Um, there, there are many other books that I'd be willing to share, although I'd have to go through my library first. Yeah, so some of them were like books that I read years ago. And my knowledge about them is probably not up to date. How about uh, YouTube videos or talks or some other personalities that you follow? Uh, yes. I, I mean, that's actually the great thing about, about YouTube. There's a lot of channels out there that you can follow with interesting insights and interesting conversations going on. And aside from having the, these insights for free, you also have a community of people available that follow these videos that you can reach out to and that you can read uh, to get more knowledge about yourself. So it's hard to to list all of them because I I don't know them by heart, but uh, I'd be willing to make a list for you, you know, and uh, maybe you could share them with the audience or maybe you could share them, you know, in in a link somewhere. And, and, and by the way, I, I would say one more thing about these channels. In, in, in themselves, they do not always have the answers to what you should do. And that, that's something that I want to be clear on. There's, there's very few people that will actually be able to tell you exactly how, like, like what to do and how to do it. Because it's different for everyone. But many of these people can at least start um, an interesting dialogue with yourself, that will be the catalyst for change. I am sure that it has been a long journey for you from being that teenager to being the man you are today. Did you ever reconnect with your family or are you still isolated from them? Uh, I did reconnect back with, with them. And let's say that nowadays we have, um, we have a very good relationship. Well, it, it, it will never be normal relationship anymore because the, the family has been broken but I think it's as good as it could be in a divorced family and what changes the way that I approach my parents in, in the past I used to approach them from the mentality of a victim you know I, I, I would consider myself in the past a resentful victim you know that has to go through all of that because of them and I would endlessly be angry and be very blameful I think that nowadays I just realized that their mistakes are their own. And their mistakes do not have to be my mistakes. 
I tried to, to have more empathy for the mistakes that I made, which is a hard thing to do because there are mistakes directly affect you and your life. And, and, and sometimes it feels like you've lost 20 or more years of your life because of problems that have been caused by that divorce to, to begin with. So I, I, I would say both your parents have lied to you, have manipulated you. Uh, I guess some kids are going through even worse. Uh, I, I guess in certain families, we could even speak of uh, verbal and physical abuse, uh, which luckily I, I didn't really have to go through. And, and that, that makes it even worse uh, when it comes to resentfulness towards your parents. However, I, I just try to look at them as handicapped in some way. I think I sincerely believe that they try the best they can, but they were just not able to do better. Because many of their shortcomings were also the shortcomings of their parents. And the shortcomings of their parents were those of their parents. And it, it, it's funny because when you start digging into your family history, you see that there, there are these cycles of, of pain and, and grief that just pass from generation to generation. And at, at some point, someone has to break that wheel and go through that and just take back the reins of the family to, you know, to, to lead to a better future. And, 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 I, and I think the biggest change for me was to stop being a victim and start using my agency to take responsibility and infuse my family with something positive. So, you, you know, nowadays it's almost like I feel a parent towards my parents. I understand they need healing because somehow they didn't get the chance that I got to. I learned things that my parents never learned. And I, I overcame issues that they never overcame. Um, I actually went through my childhood traumas and they never did. I'm, I'm not sure they ever will because they, they are quite old now. It's probably too late for them. Re reconnecting with them was also for me, a way to, to reconnect with a broken part of me. Because whether you like it or not, you, you come from your both parents and you need your family. Uh, it's just that in, instead of, um, how would I say, in, in, instead of undergoing my family, I leave my family. In, in, instead of, um, you know, having to, I'm trying to find my words in English here, but instead of having to submit to them, it's uh, it's you who who teach them and and who leads the way. Yeah, it's a more active approach instead of a passive one. Exactly, and I want to say one more thing about that because whether you want to reconnect with your family, it's your own choice. It's not something that I recommend for everyone. Like we are all our own judges, and like. I guess for me, it was worth going back. But I understand that someone else's situation might be, you know, too painful or too severe to be able to do that. Uh, it's, it really depends on the context of what happened in the past. I decided to offer forgiveness to my parents and get over that. And the reason why I decided to go back is also because I, I felt that as long as I did not do that, I would cowardly flee my, my own past. 
and I would cowardly flee my own family. And I, and I think that a person that claims to have regained agency does not do that. You do not flee from your family, but you go back to them. You know, you grab the reins and you decide to lead. So that's what I wanted to do. And that's what motivated me to go back. And also because, uh, but, but that's mostly my, my Christian background that, you know, incited me to do this, is because uh, I always believe that there can be forgiveness and that everyone who has hurt others in the past always has a chance for redemption. The, the way I look at my, my mother and father today, I think they really grant that chance. Did any of your parents remarry or have a new family? Uh, my mother never did. She never brought another man in the relationship. And I'm really thankful for that because uh, that would have severely conflicted with me and my brother. So she, she paid a price for that because she was completely alone to take care of the family for many long years. So it took a heavy toll on her. But I, I think in the end, that was the right choice. For us, uh, my father, because he moved abroad, he married another woman, which I have a very good uh, relationship with. Um, she's she's a good person to us and a good person to him. Also, we never really saw him quite often because, as I told you, I saw my father only a few weeks over the the last few years, uh, over the last twenty years actually. Uh, but uh, yeah, he did remarry. How about your siblings? Did they do the same as you? Or are they still stuck within the same toxic environment? Uh, they are in that last phase that you mentioned. Um, I cannot really speak for them, but I know that they, they find themselves in a situation I used to be in maybe five or ten years ago. And I understand why. It's because I, I was still eight years old at the age of, my, of the divorce of my parents, but my siblings were as young as two and six years old. So that, that means that at, at least I have a positive framework uh, when it comes to my childhood. I still have these eight years of, of joy and happiness. And for my siblings, that period has been way shorter. And the uh, impact and influence of that divorce on their lives is way more heavy than it was for me. Uh, for example, my, my youngest sister, she has practically never known my dad. She, she was two years old at the age of the divorce, so practically the, the only memory of my father that she has is a, an absent father that could almost not see us or that lives abroad. So they, they, they are at different stages, and I, I mean, part of what I try to do in my family is eventually to help them to get through that as well. And it's very hard because it's not something that you can ask from someone. They have to decide that from their, themselves, but they have different, they, have, they live in different environments. They are surrounded by different people and they've had different influences than me in life. So they have to go through their own way. All I can try to do is to help them to get through that. But they're... Let's say that among the four siblings, I'm the only one that has gone as far as being able to look at it from a third-person view. Let's say I'm a teenager who's going through the same thing. What will be your advice for me? I think right now, in this point of life, because for, for me, you know, this is all very recent. And I'm, I'm just starting to, to put things back together. 
So I wouldn't say I'm really qualified to give quality advice. I, I can try to point out people towards the right direction, but uh, I'm not sure I could give advice myself. What I could do, however, is always point out people towards other resources that, uh, that have helped me and try to engage them in that discussion. I, I would try to push them in the right direction to, to encourage them to do self-reflection. I cannot tell them exactly how, because I don't know their situation, but I, I, I would say at, at least do not take everything that you used to know for granted, you know, and, and try to do a scrutiny of that. It's like having a, an audit of yourself and your family. Uh, and the second thing I would probably say is that if, if you feel like your environment causes all of that in you, it makes you sad and resentful and bitter and angry. I would probably say that it's time to take some distance from that environment. It doesn't mean that you have to go as extreme as cutting everyone off, but I found that in order to move forward in life and, and to jump forward, sometimes you have to take a few step backs and you have to just cut out people, you know, to, to clean up your life. It means that you, you might have to distance yourself from certain relationships, ex especially those that are toxic, especially those that make you feel bad and those that constantly put you in dangerous or unhealthy situations. I'm sure that after going through all this, you have a better perspective on how to go about building your own family. Can you share a bit about that? Well, I, I think I just... I, I don't really know how my, my father and, and mother engaged in their dating process. I mean, it's not really a conversation I, I had with them. But based on the few information I had, I kind of made assumptions. It's also something that, that I see around me. Like the, the, the template for dating nowadays is that people jump into relationships really quickly with, uh, with a lot of commitment without having the difficult conversations without having the crucial conversations, you know, uh, about, hey, what, how, how do you think, what do you think about, about marriage? What do you think about families? What do you think about raising up kids? How would you raise them? Uh, what are your moral beliefs? Uh, I mean, how do you look at, at managing money and all these important questions that are really essential for forming a family? And you, you know, people usually have everything except those conversations. And they, of course, as relationships develop, the conversations, you, you cannot avoid the conversations as, as the, the relationships are growing. But sometimes you find having them four or five years too late. And the problem is that by then you might be committed already. You might have kids, you might have a house together, you might be married. And we're, at the point where the conversations erupt, well, you, you might find yourself in very deep disagreements with your partner, but what you do then, it's too late to backtrack. It's too late to make a change because you're engaged already. So I, I'd say that the, the main thing that I do different from my parents and from many other people in society nowadays is that I had all the important conversations before being engaged with my, my fiancé. 
And so we kind of make sure to, to be compatible when it comes to finances, morality, uh, you know, you know uh, loyalty, uh, yeah, and, and all other important aspects of family life be, before deciding to go through with a relationship. These conversations are not easy to have, especially with someone you are just dating. How did you go about having these conversations? That, that's a tricky one because, you know, it, it's a question of, uh, of different styles and, and everyone has a different approach. I was very blunt in my approach. So from the first days on, I just said, look, this is my goal. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a woman to marry, right? I'm looking for someone to build my life with and I'm looking for someone to, to have a family with. That's my goal. I'm not casually dating. So I, right off the bat, I, I made sure that this was very clear. And, you, you know, there's like a balance that you have to keep during the dating process because obviously you want to make it fun and lighthearted, especially when you don't know someone and you don't want to burden them too much with too much heavy questions right from the start. But it really pays off to, you know, still trying to have them in a very subtle way and, and to have a balance somewhere in between fun and lighthearted dating and also, you know, having the conversations that you should have. Um, so I, I know that my fiancé very often reminds me that I, I was very blunt on, on every single date that we had in the start. But um, I, I would say that what, what worked for me was to just, you know, not, not commit myself to anything, especially not to, to anything lustful. From the start, that, that's kind. Of, we, we are both Christians, by the way, so that's kind of the, the Christian way of, of dating. Uh, and people of different backgrounds might have another approach, but so uh, because I specifically went for a Christian girl that was kind of already embedded in, in her, you know, in her moral belief system, it was not too hard to to get her to to work together with me with me um, along these lines. But uh, yeah, so it, it means that we just, well, we, we don't go for instant gratification and, and we, we try to keep, you know, anything romantic or flirty to, to a minimum. Of course, that as you know each other and as you grow throughout your relationship, there, there is a place for that. and And you know, this grows along with the relationship, but uh, we try to just be very conscious about why we were dating. And that's all I can say. In your opinion, as someone who have grown up in a family with divorced parents, what is the best way to handle a divorce if you are a parent? It, it, it's really hard. It's really hard because I, I, I think if parents were able to cooperate and communicate with each other, there would not be a divorce to begin with. So usually a divorce implies that the, the very essential glue for a relationship, uh, communication, cooperation, is already dysfunctional. And so if it's dysfunctional for, for the parents, uh, probably it will be dysfunctional with the kids too. So that, that, that's a huge problem. Um, I... All I can say, but, but it's like almost de desiring the impossible, but it, it, it's for the parents to just put their ego aside. Even if it's hard to do, and even if you take things very... Because 
that, that's always a thing that will happen in divorce. You will take things very personal. You you might see the other as an enemy. You might, uh, you know, you, you feel personally attacked. You feel personally threatened, and 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 you reflect that upon the the other spouse and upon your children. But as much as possible, try to, you know, keep your head calm and try to put your ego aside and don't forget that you know wh whatever you're gonna do and say is going to deeply deeply affect your children and that whatever decision you're gonna make for a selfish reason is going to screw up your kids very badly for the next decades of their life and i think that if a parent just thinks about their own childhood again they would never desire that for themselves they, they, they would never want their own parents to treat them that way. And just to, to remind them to not treat their children the way that they might have been treated in the past or the way they might have been treated by their partners for the matter. It, it, it's a really hard thing to ask from someone because, again, the, the pain and the hurt that people are going through in a divorce is very personal and it's hard to get to get on top of that, you know, and to put it aside and to make good decisions in the best interest of someone else. But uh, I, I think that's all I can do is to remind them of that, of the very, very deep and severe consequences of their actions towards their, their children. And uh, the younger the children, the worse it gets. Right. And what do you think make a good father? A very good question. And, and I think I haven't built my own family yet, and uh, so I, I haven't proven myself as a father yet. I, I think it would be interesting if we had the same conversation 10 years again, you know, when I have my full-grown family and I, and I can tell you if it actually works out for me, uh, which I hope it will. But let's say a lot of the things that I'm going to say, these are just things that I learned from other men. How to know how to make a family successful when you, you have never led a family yourself, when you have not led, made your family yourself yet. I, I think what you should do is just take your advice from other successful men. I think you, every man should, to, to begin, have a network of other accomplished, successful men. Look at what they do and emulate that. Right, because I, I can tell you a lot about what I think, but uh, yeah, but I mean, it's just my opinion. I, I have not my family yet. I'm not even actually married yet. I don't have kids yet. So what do I know? But I can tell you that a lot of the things that have worked for me in my life, I just get them from other men. I have not invented a single thing myself. So the, there are groups out there on social media. There are books that have been written. There are podcasts out there of, of uh, you know, successful, accomplished family men that have been in stable relationships for 20 years that at the same time have had several companies, uh, had to manage a family with four kids, and, and somehow they can juggle with all that at the same time. So I'd say get your advice from them. See what they do. What, what is the secret sauce that these guys are using to, to make it happen? Uh, and, and I think it's better than to get your advice just from me for now. I, I'd say that all these men will generally tell you one thing, and it is that as a family man, you have to lead and you have to provide. 
So being good family man has a lot to do with being a good leader. So that's something that you want to look at for. What, what are the typical skills uh, for leadership? And, and not like business leadership, although we could say that both are, are really related to each other. But, um, you know, ju just how do you display leadership with your wife and with your children? Well, for example, uh, there, there's, um, there's one group on social media that I like to follow. It's called Order of Men. And uh, it's like a community of mostly accomplished men. Although you, you will see that a lot of non-accomplished men join that network just because they are looking for answers. So I, I will give you a, a link to their social media. And they, they talk about a lot of different subjects, as in, you know, how can you start your own business? How can you make sure to, you know, uh, how can you make your wife more happy? How can you provide good insight and leadership for your kids? And all these kind of questions that, uh, you know, that you do not always get nowadays because, uh, you know, I, one thing that I see in society nowadays is that, you, you know, a lot of parents are not necessarily invested in their children. And or not necessarily interested into developing their own legacy. And developing that legacy, you do that by investing in your children, having those conversations with them, you know, preparing them for life. And I guess that in, in the daily rat race where both parents are like working full time and, and dealing with the, the daily stress of life, there's very few time left to actually engage with children in, in a meaningful way. So we have a whole generation of men and women that are just not ready for real life, that are not ready for dealing with the pressure of having to lead a family. Uh, and that's why you have tons and tons of men flocking to these, you know, social media uh, looking for answers. So again, I, I will provide you links after the conversation. What's the biggest lesson that you wish that you have learned ages ago while you were still stuck managing a parent's divorce that you have learned now? You know, one thing that I would have done differently is to just, you know, in invest in myself and my career and education before investing in anyone else. And I think I, what, what I mean is just engaging in, in relationships uh, without knowing why you engage in these relationships. Uh, as I said at the very beginning of, of this podcast, it's engaging with people from a place of emptiness. You engage with them because you're needy, because you're in need of affection, in need of love, but you do not really engage with them because you have something to offer. I deeply think that before even wanting, before thinking about being with a partner or thinking about a family and kids, you should first have something to offer. And having something to offer implies that you've done work on yourself first, that you've become an accomplished man. Otherwise, you will have. You know, if, if you do not deal with your problems first, your relationship will deal with them for you. Uh, and that can be pretty painful. And, and I think that's what leads to a lot of divorces to begin with. So deal with your problems first, build yourself up before you even think about building something with someone else. That's what I would say differently. Well, I, I would say it's never too late to change. You know, I, I, I often used to think, well, 
know, at, at the age of 20, I should be this. At the age of 30, I should be that. You know, at, at the age of 40, I should have achieved this and this and this. I, I think none of that is true. You know, so, sometimes I, I'm almost 34 years old. And sometimes I wonder why, why did it take me so much time to understand what I understand nowadays? And sometimes looking back at my life, it feels like I wasted 30 years. You know, like for 30 years, I, I literally got nowhere with my life. And, and knowing that life is short and, and that you will not get that, that time back, it feels like huge waste and it, it can make one feel depressive. However, I would say the, this is sometimes the price that we pay to, to repair something that has been broken and that would have stayed broken for many more generations. And when you look at it that way, the, the effort that you will do, even if it's at the age of 30 or 40 or 50, is invaluable. It's invaluable because you can literally break a vicious cycle that has been going on for several generations, you know, and, and, and lead your family and legacy to a glorious future. It's never too late for that, and, and it's the best investment possible. Ben, thank you for this interview. You gave me a lot of insights into your life, and I found it very inspiring. I love how you actually overcame all those emotional trauma, managed to become who you are. I'm genuinely happy and proud to have met someone like you. Uh, that's really good. And uh, thanks a lot. It was actually the first time that I did some, some kind of interview with someone. So, you, you know, the, the hard part for me is that English is not my native language. Um, my, my native language is French and Dutch. And sometimes feels to me like it's a bit hard to get my point across or I struggle to find the right words to say exactly what I want to say. So it's really something new for me, but I'm glad that uh, you know, I, I can feel at ease and have a conversation with you. I know that Ben's story had a happy ending. Through this, a lot more are still stuck in the same position and a lot of children are actually stuck in similar situations too. What's worse is that a lot of dads and moms are getting alienated from their kids every day. In fact, there are over 350 million children globally who do not have access to one or both of their parents. So we at Find My Parent are passionate about solving these issues through all of our advocacy and tech platforms. If you are part of an NGO or a decision maker and passionate about this issue, please go to findmyparent.org and let us know through our contact forms. We would love to partner with you. Next week, we will be speaking to Enrique, the founder of Find My Parent, and we will talk about his own story, what motivated him to start the company, and so much more. Till then, take care.